0: Hello, right. and welcome again to Christian Thought in Our World. My name is Eric Ramirez. I am your host, and I am here with panelist uh, Johnny Navarro. We also have our panelist, James Alleman, who's usually with us, but he is with family at this moment because he had a child. So may the Lord uh, continue to bless him there. And we're going to be continuing, actually, again, uh, discussin- discussion on the issues of of Christ and the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. So we did our presentation Last time, in which we did a a bit of a mock Q&A or presentation actually with Brother Johnny. And we went ahead and and answered objections that were given by the Jehovah's Witnesses. But obviously, this was a uh, mock mock, uh, situation that we did. But in this particular case, uh, Johnny actually pointed out to me that we had some, uh, actually some good questions from a particular actual Jehovah's Witness on some of the issues that we spoke about. And some objections. So we want to go ahead and uh, look at that today. We think, we think that this, this would be a worthwhile task because of the fact that we would actually be dealing with real uh, Jehovah's Witness objections. Now we do want to make a point that when you want to ask questions to the show, we do want them to be done through the show. So for you to send them, we, you know, we're not going to answer 20 questions if you have them. Uh, in this particular case, you know, we, we feel that this is a, a, an important situation uh, in which it could be done but for the most part we don't we don't we can't be doing shows responding to everything that everybody has to say because there's so many objections and so much time to get into it perhaps in future uh in future programs we can revisit uh this situation perhaps in a in a different topic regarding uh jehovah's witnesses and christianity but today we want to go ahead and uh do a presentation on this particular comment and also we're going to be also looking at a second set of comments which uh We'll explain later why that's a little bit of a different situation. But, Brother Johnny, I'd like to go ahead and uh, have you go ahead and uh, give us our questions for today so that we may begin our discussion regarding the uh, commentary. All
1: right. So uh, let me just uh, slide myself here. Okay. So uh, we got a question from a Jehovah's Witness by the name of Moses Livingstone. And he says, Brother Eric, Jesus is a God in the sense that he is Elohim. Elohim in the Hebrew is translated God in English, but it means mighty ones, false gods, the true God, Jehovah, angels, and even human rulers, Psalm 82, 1 through 6, are called Elohim or gods in the Bible. This does not mean they should be venerated the way Jehovah is. Rather, they are recognized as being godlike, divine, or above us in authority and power.
0: Well, the first, the first thing we got to look at is, as we gave the presentation last time, when we're talking about the, the usage of God, words actually have meaning according to the context. Let's take, for, for example, the word anointed. Okay? Is Jesus the only anointed? Is he the only one that is referred to as anointed? No. And as a matter of fact, if you were to talk to a Jew, a Jew who knows his you know, Old Testament, that's the first thing he will tell you. There's nothing. You can't be ransacking the Old Testament and just looking for Messiah and say, oh yeah, here's Jesus because the context bears it different. Now we do have a principle that we get from the book of Hebrews in which we know that all that has been written is written of who of of him, of Christ. It predicted it was alluding to Christ. And so in many ways, even the, the, the concept of anointing points to Christ, but in its uh, particular context, it has its own meaning. For instance, the high priest, We refer to it as a high priest, but in the Hebrew, it's actually the priest, the anointed. That's the way it it is referred. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, well, then how do we know that this is speaking about the anointed of God? Well, the reason why is because when we talk about this eschatological figure that was to come when we refer to Jesus Christ, is because this anointing is not an anointing that's done by man. Who anointed the priest? Men did. Right. Who anointed the kings? Who anointed the prophets? Men did. But these things were symbolic of the anointing that came upon Jesus, because was the anointing of Jesus done by men? No, this was a spiritual anointing that was done by the father. The same could be said of of other things. Right. When we talk about sons of God, are we saying that we who are the righteous, when we refer to the righteous, the sons of God, that we are sons of God in the way Jesus is? No, we are not. Right. There's a unique way, and he is actually uh, monogenes, right? The only begotten. So what we have to understand is in this particular verse, when it's using the word God, if you notice, even he himself talks about how there's uh, different ways in which this word is used. And in verse 1, we see that when it's speaking of theos or theon in the way it, uh, it actually uh, uses it in John 1.1, 1, 1, what is the context? What is this speaking about? Is this speaking about men? Is this speaking about angels? No, this is actually speaking about God. This is speaking about Jesus in the context of God. And so what this is telling us is, first of all, the relationship that the son, Jesus, has, right, the word, with God, and, and of the fact that he is of that nature. He is of God. And so that's why we take issue with particularly the, the use with the, with the, uh, the uh, indefinite article of a God, because this is not saying that Jesus is just a God, this is actually making a reference to the God and I think that if we uh, were to take a look at John 1 and the continuing verses, I think it makes an even stronger connection to this particular issue to to uh, Jesus' connection to uh, to God would do you have any comments on this, brother Johnny, regarding uh? Him uh I
1: would, I would piggyback on on the issue that obviously you're absolutely right and and in a way that the Jehovah's Witness is a Moses Livingston and in, in a way he actually answered his own question by pointing out the different usages and so it, it is determined by the context uh, the the thing about Jesus though is that Jesus is distinguished. He's actually called unique from the creation. And Jehovah's Witnesses recognize that. So so when Jesus is called Theos or, or Elohim or Elo, whatever the Hebrew word form is, um, he is called that, but in a way that's different from the judges of Israel in Psalm 82, or if you take the angelic view like Michael Heiser, uh, the fact is that he is still Called these these titles in a different way, and one of the the prime examples is in actually in Colossians 1.16. Now we, last last time we did the show we talked about Colossians 1.15, where Jesus is called firstborn, and we explained that firstborn means a preeminent or first in rank. Uh, but the issue about Colossians one sixteen and the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, I did try. I think that they they try to argue the fact that that because Jesus is called firstborn, the conclusion is that he must be part of that creation. And so as part of the creation, he is the one who is before everything else, because Jehovah creates Jesus, and then through Jesus, or Michael, uh, he creates everything else. Uh, the problem here is that in Colossians 1, it actually says that all things were created through Jesus, and Paul makes it a point to say whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things. He is before all things. He sustains all things. He is being described as <clears throat> as basically being outside of the category of creation, even though he himself enters into the creation and the incarnation, which uh, we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more in, in the next question. So let me let me get to the next question, which kind of touches on some of the comments that you were making right now. He says, in harmony with this, John in John 1.1 1, 1 refers to Jesus or the word as same God, his father. I think this is a typo here, but I think what he's saying that he's not referred to as the same God as his father is. To venerate Jesus instead of or to replace the worship of the father, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, with Jesus in the form of triune God is idolatry. Now, of course. We are not here to discuss the Doctrine of the Trinity, not because we don't—this deserved its own show, and on my own YouTube channel, I did do a video on the Doctrine of the Trinity, and there are some really good videos uh, that are available on the Doctrine of the Trinity, but our show was specifically titled, uh, Answering Jewish Objections to to the Deity of Christ. So we're not going to get into the Holy Spirit uh, or any of the Trinitarian theology, because that's, a, that's an entirely different show. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that we, we understand. Now, for Jehovah's Witnesses, whenever you see the word Jehovah, it only means Father for them. And, and this is a very important point to make. Go ahead, brother.
0: Yes. Well, one of the uh, other points that I want to make is that, you know, as you're reading John 1, you see these contrasts that are being made. For instance, it is speaking of, for instance, the word being with God, and then it says that it was God, right? Notice in verse ten, it says He was in the world, right? So in other words, He was in the world, right? As a meaning in the creation, but then it makes a distinction, and it says, uh, and it says, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him, right? But notice that it says that the world was made through Him, right? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, for instance, that I know that Jehovah's Witnesses like to uh, you know, particularly focus on is the fact that uh, you know Jehovah God is creator, right? It is He who's creator. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is is what? He's a he's a tool, right? But in reality, if you really look at the way this is speaking about it, this is actually saying that He is a maker. He is the maker of it. As a matter of fact, uh, I forget, brother, the the verse where it speaks about that. You know that He sustains the
1: the it's in Colossians the one.
0: Yes, you know, so, so the fact that he's doing the sustaining, that is actually showing a divine act. Because we have many, many passages in the Old Testament where it speaks about how God has control over creation. And that, that is actually uh, deific. So when we have the, the fact that Jesus is doing this, this is actually showing that he is actually practicing divinity in the fact that, that, that he has this ability. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. Uh,
1: yes, uh, in response, uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that John, in John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, John actually goes out of his way to tell us that the Logos, and basically, uh, just to give very brief background, the the term that is translated word in the English language is the Greek word Logos. And in the, among the Greeks, the Logos was like a governing principle that ordered the universe. And to the Jews, it was understood um, with the Aramaic term, Memra, which was a reference to the wisdom of God, and it it referred to the spoken word. And so God uh, does things through the word of his power. So this was how the Jews understood it. And so in the Targums, and Brother Eric, you know more about the Targums than myself, you'll find the Jews talking about how God did this through his Memra. And you see this kind of language like in Proverbs chapter 8, where it talks about the wisdom, you know, God... Does the creative work with wisdom, with his wisdom, and so in in John chapter one, John John is speaking within the background of his Jewish heritage, and the the concept of the Memra as that governing principle and the spoken word of God, the wisdom of God through which God creates everything. And I don't believe that God created wisdom, in, in which means that God wasn't wise. And then God created wisdom, and then God became wise, and so therefore God changed and he improved himself. I don't believe that. I hope Jehovah's right. Witnesses don't believe that. I assume they don't, but I don't know. I can't speak for them. So so just as a beginning. And so one of the things that he says is that he says uh, uh, he goes out of his way to tell us that the Logos was in intimate face-to-face fellowship with God the Father. The Greek phrase is Theon. in the beginning. And so in the beginning... The word is already there. Now, in the, in the Greek language, because uh, I've read several articles and listened to several lectures, even though I, I myself am not a, a biblical scholar, I, I can tell you what other scholars have said. What I can tell you is that when it refers to in the beginning, we know it refers back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what, and then he goes out of his way to tell us the word was. Well, in the Greek, the, the word for was, which is a verb, indicates that the that the word was there before the beginning and so this puts him outside of the area of creation and then then he says uh god was the word literally in greek could translated as the word was god it could be translated the word was deity or it could also be translated what god was the word was not that the that the logos was what the was the father but that mm-hmm. whatever the Father is, the Logos is, who, uh, who we find out in verse 14 is actually Jesus. And so this is how he's like, being identified. But then John tries to underline this. In verse 2, he repeats and underscores that the Logos was already there in the beginning. In verse 2, he actually says he, the Word was there in the beginning. And then in verse 3, he said, John makes it a point to tell us that all things were created through the Logos and that nothing was made that, uh, that was made without him. John really stresses that the logos existed in the beginning, prior to all things being created. So this indicates that for John, he's tre- and in verse four he even says, "In the logos, in the word was life." So the the life comes from the word, creation comes from the word. So the word, the logos, is definitely not a part of the creation when you look at John chapter one, except in the incarnation, which we
0: find in verse fourteen. Thank you. Correct. So uh, another uh, point I wanted to make was that, you know, so obviously I think that there's a, a difficulty. The biggest difficulty that I see with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is that they, they, they don't accept, but I think it's because they're not understanding the incarnation and the humiliation of Christ. But the book of Hebrews tell, t- tells us that he had to be a man as we were in order to be tempted and to suffer the same things as we do. Now, this is why he had to empty himself, right? And the fact of the matter is, when it speaks of him being dependent of the father, is because of the fact that he emptied himself. Because do we sustain ourselves? Do we have life in and of ourselves as son of men? No, right? We depend on who? We depend on God. So therefore, if the son you know, uh, humbled himself. How did he come, by the way? He came as a servant. Does that mean that, that uh, you know, that's, that's what he, uh, what's it called? Uh, that's what his status uh, always is? No, he, there's, there's, there's an exaltation even there, right? When, when he uh, sits at the right hand of the Father, he is now what? He's King of Kings, right? Because of the fact that mm-hmm. as he came, he came humbly. And that's why I reiterate what I had stated in the other show, which is that in Philippians 2, it makes this wonderful connection to us. That we need to humble ourselves because of the, of the fact that Christ, who did not grasp, you know, to, to, uh, to become God because it was his, right? Nevertheless, he humbled himself, you know, to set an example, an example that we have to follow. That we, as Christ, you know, came as a humble servant to do the will of God. We are to do ourselves. And I think that that's an, an important factor. And I think another thing that we have to take consideration, this, uh, I don't want to go too much off the tangent on here. But, you know, one of the big things that I see uh, being stressed in the objections is the fact that, uh, you know, Jesus is being recognized as the uh, they believe as the archangel Michael. So the argument would be that Jesus is is an angel right in the way or a messenger, which is the actual word as the others are. But we see that this actually can't be so, because in the uh, in the book of Jude, I believe it's where it speaks about, uh, you know, uh, Michael. uh what's it called, uh, uh, contending with uh, Satan over the body of Moses. What did did, uh, Michael say? He says that he dared not rebuke him, but he said the Lord rebuke him, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Did he not rebuke Satan?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And how did he do it? Through the word, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very important that we understand that I actually do believe as you i'm sure do brother that jesus in fact is a messenger because the fact that jesus is a messenger he's also referred to as an apostle right he, if he's a priest obviously he's not a priest in the way the the levites are and i think one of the identifications of the pre-incarnate jesus is actually the angel of the lord now here's one of the ways that i see a great evidence for the fact that jesus is indeed yahweh is because who is the one that spoke to Moses in the burning bush? Who do we all acknowledge is? And I know even Jehovah's Witnesses acknowledge this. We all, ex- we all acknowledge that it was Jehovah, right? But let us turn to Exodus 3. If you are watching and you can, please turn to Exodus 3. Exodus chapter
1: 3. Oh, that's a good question. James Aleman just asked a question. Uh, for Jehovah's Witnesses, do they believe that uh, Jehovah became flesh with Abraham? I would say no, they don't believe that.
0: Yeah, we could probably deal with, with, with that uh, question later. But let us look at, uh, so we're in verse 3, and let's, let us start right at the beginning. Now it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Right? To the mountain of God. Now, notice what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire out of the mist of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And who was in the bush again? the angel of the Lord, right? And it says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. So we see here that the identification of this angel is with Jehovah God. And another thing, too, is that, you know, there is a concept within Judaism, particularly with ancient Judaism, in which they believe that there was an angel, what was called the angel of the presence. And this was the angel that bared God's name. Now, let's think about that. If can a creature be Jehovah? So how is it that this angel bears his name? The reason why is because there is a distinction here. There is a distinction within the, within the, the, the Godhead. And that's why we believe in the person of the Son, in the person of the, uh, uh, of the Father, and the person of the Spirit. Because we see that within these texts, there are distinctions being made. I'm not sure if you have anything uh, to add to that, Brother, Brother John. Uh,
1: no, no, I agree with 100%. Uh, actually, uh, Brother James just asked a question that actually relates to the question, that the next question on the list here. So uh, okay. we're going to answer both at the same time. Uh, Brother James. Um, all right, so uh, Jesus is the first and the last when it comes to being resurrected to heavenly life by his Father, Almighty God, Revelation one seventeen through 18. However, that does not mean he is the Alpha and the Omega or the first and the last the same way his Father Jehovah is, as described in Revelation 1.8. And, and uh, what Brother James said, and I'll just put that on the screen so that uh, everyone can see this here. He, he says, do uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, Jesus is the first and the last and that Jehovah is the second and the second to last?
0: Both. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so any, anyway, uh, I, I, what, I, what I would at, just quickly answer in my, in my brief paragraph here is that there are no scriptures that teach that the title first and the last refers to Christ's resurrection. To a Jewish mindset, this title would have been restricted to
0: Yahweh. Um, uh, brother? Yeah, I think we, I think it's important, actually, that we look at, at, at these particular texts and look at particularly what 44. Uh, excuse me, Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 says. Let me go ahead and read this to you. Mm-hmm. This is what the Lord says, the King of Israel and its Redeemer, right? The Lord of the heavenly armies is His name. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim and declare it and lay it out for himself. Since he made an ancient people and let him speak future events, let them tell him what will happen. Do not, excuse me, don't tremble and don't and don't be afraid. Didn't I tell you and announce it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I don't know of any. Now, I do want to point out to hear about how there's some very emphatic things that are being said here, right? Which is that, notice that when it's speaking about the I am the first and the last, it refers to his deity, right? So this is a title, this is a deity, this is a title of deity that is being presented here, right? And notice that it says that there is no one like me. So there's none like him, right? But yet, isn't it argued that does the name uh, what does the name Michael mean who is like god one who is like God right mm-hmm. so here clearly when it's speaking about one who is like God it can't be referring to it in a in a deific way and one of the ways that we know that as well is because whose image are we made like god right mm-hmm. are we divine ourselves so just because something is like it doesn't mean that it ha- it means that it's that it's in that sense. But we see here that he's actually saying that no one is like me, right? But we do have a, uh, uh, a partic- the particular text in, a, I believe it's Hebrews 1.3, where it speaks of uh, Jesus being uh, the imprint of his nature, right? Of the nature uh, 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 of the Father, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of God. And so this is something that would be in contradiction to what Isaiah 44 Uh, you know, 44, uh, I'm not, actually, what verse would that be? Uh, Yeah, that verse 7, verse 7, actually, the verse verse 7 that would be saying this, right? Now, I want to go now to Revelation 21, 5, right? Who's the one seated on the throne here, okay? And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also, he said, "Write, write this down, for the for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i will i will give from the spring of water of life without payment who is who is supposed to be saying this god right mm-hmm. jehovah god would be the one saying this now let us turn now to revelation chapter 1 and let us look at verses uh Yeah, verses actually verses five and six, in in chapter one it says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold I am making of oh excuse me I am reading from the wrong uh, oh I'm reading from the wrong section I'm sorry I think I think I screwed up and and uh, put in the uh, the wrong one let me see if I can find uh, the uh the particular. Uh, Verses that I intended to look at uh, Revelation and Revelation 1. If, if you'd like, uh, go ahead, brother, if you have any comments. On this particular. Well,
1: actually, while you're doing that, let me, let me just point out that in the next question that, or the next comment that uh, was made by the Jehovah's Witness friend, he says, for a start, Jehovah here is described as Almighty God in the way he is uniquely the first and the last. There is no other Almighty God before him nor after him. Isaiah 44, 6, Almighty God can't die. And, and so the argument he's basically making the argument that Jesus cannot be uh, Jehovah, he cannot be Almighty God because he's not called Almighty God. So when he calls him first and the last, it's not describing him in terms of being Yahweh. He he's being the first and the last because he's the only one. And I think that in the in the later section he he make he tries to underline this point about uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, well, I'll read. I'll read that in the, in, when we get to that one. It's uh, a couple of questions down. Uh, so he he's basically saying that yes, but Jesus isn't Jehovah. Jehovah is the first and the last, and there's only, only one Almighty God, but that he's not uh, that. He's not Jehovah.
0: Well, this so, so to make a, a little bit more on that point, I, I, I'll get back to the actual verses I was supposed to put in, which is actually uh, uh, verses seven and eight in in chapter one, which it says. Behold, he is coming with clouds, right? And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So who is this? This is obviously Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Who was the one that was pierced, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at verse 8, yeah, when we look at verse 8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty, right? Mm-hmm. So we see that here it's, it's linking it very clearly. It's linking very clearly that the Alpha and the Omega is Jesus, just as it, as it had been said in, uh, in Revelation uh, 21. So this is why we see and why we say that Jesus is Lord. He is Jehovah God.
1: May I comment Go on ahead, that? Brother. Sure. Okay. Uh, so it, one of the issues, and, and I know that Jehovah's Witnesses, because uh, usually they make a, a bit of a fuss over the definite article. And in Revelation chapter one verse eight, it, it talks about, uh, "I am the Alpha and the Omega," says the Lord God, or or Jehovah God, because the the definite article is used before God, theos. And and whenever the whenever you see the words, kurios and "theos" used in the Greek text, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that it usually refers to Jehovah God. So in the Jehovah's Witness, the New World Translation, they will insert the word Jehovah where the word kurios, which means Lord, is found, and they will insert it there, and they'll say that this right here is Jehovah God, therefore it's the Father. But that's a theological interpretation. Not that the word Jehovah is necessarily inappropriate, although I don't think there's a need to put the word Jehovah, because the Greek word is logos, and we know, I'm sorry, the Greek word is uh, uh, kurios. Uh, and we know that kurios means Lord. Uh, but but the issue here is that in, within the New Testament context, if you're reading the Gospels and if you're reading the Pauline epistles and you're talking about the day of judgment, you're talking about the resurrection of the dead, or if you're talking about perhaps the judgment on Israel in 70 AD, depending on your views of eschatology or on times, uh, the point is that the coming that is described is of the sun. It is the sun that is coming in the clouds, with glory it is the son that is coming to Correct. judge the living and the dead he is the one depicted in Hebrews chapter 7 I'm oh, sorry in Daniel chapter 7 the son of man who who is the king and the, the all of these things so if you're looking at uh, Revelation chapter 1 and it says behold he is coming in the clouds and he says I am the alpha and the omega the one who is who was and is to come the almighty the only logical interpretation is that that is actually Jesus. It's only a theological interpretation that would force us to say this is actually the Father, because the Father is never we're never told that the Father's coming. It's the Son that's coming. And so this is, uh, this is a, a very clear claim on the part of Jesus to being Yahweh. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you'll find that Jesus claims to be Alpha and Omega in Revelation 1.8. He claims to be the first and the last during the letters. I think it's uh, Revelation chapter 2. Uh, And then in uh, Revelation chapter 21, which which you quoted earlier, brother, it's the Father speaking from the throne. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then you go to verse 16, it's Jesus that's speaking all the way through. So all these titles are given to Jesus very, very specifically. And and this is something that is not uh, strange. Should I get to the next question?
0: I just want to make one last point. Okay. So one of the things that I do think is important too, is that we have to understand the nature of the book of revelation. And obviously this is a book that's very mysterious to a lot of people, even, even the Christians. Right. But at the end of the day, one of the things that we do know is that this is a book that's making allusions to the old Testament. So even when we look at titles, like I am the first and the last, that's because it's actually making allusions to how this title was being used before. And we looked at Isaiah 44 as an example of that. But I do want to make, Another uh, allusion, which is that in the text that we were looking at, you know, where it speaks about the one who is pierced. Let us look at Zechariah chapter 12. And I want to begin at verse 8. And let's read what this, let's, uh, let's hear and read what this says. On that day, the Lord will, and by the way, the Lord here is capital Yahweh. letters, Yahweh or Jehovah, right? Mm-hmm. Shield. It says, we'll shield those who live in Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them will be like David. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them, right? And then it says, on that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon who? On me, the Lord, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for what? and only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves over what? A firstborn son. I don't know how much clearer we can get that the identification with Jesus and the Lord is very, very clear in
1: Scripture.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. But We can go on with the next question, but All
1: right. All right. So in the next question, uh, he says, um, uh, Jesus, however, could and did that. Because remember, the last paragraph, he mentioned that Almighty God can't die. God isn't mortal. And Jesus, however, could and did die. Okay. So my quick answer is, when Jesus became flesh, this is in John chapter 1, verse 14, he emptied himself, becoming a man and submitting himself to death. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 he was also made a little lower than than the angels. I wanted to back up on just one thing that you said earlier, brother. And you were talking about the angel of the Lord and everything, and you were talking about how Michael, when he was battling with Satan over the body of Moses, and that he didn't dare rebuke him. He said, may the Lord rebuke you, whereas Jesus actually rebukes Satan whenever he wants, and the demons, okay? The interesting thing about that is that Michael – if this is supposed to be Jesus, this is Michael in glory. And Jesus, when he rebukes uh, Satan in, uh, in the wilderness, he's not in glory. He's actually in his humiliation. So yes, that's, why it. that's would actually Jesus, yeah, good point. Yes, so if Jesus is Michael in the humiliated form, why is it that the humiliated form of Michael is able to rebuke Satan with no problem, but the glorified Michael can't? This is, a, this is a very important point that I don't think Jehovah's Witnesses have really, uh, really considered. And by the way, Brother James Aleman just posted, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and this is from uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Brother, go ahead. Yes.
0: And, oh, and I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and actually, this was in—I uh, apologize. I, I got caught up in the, uh, in the last thing. What, what, is, what are we responding to at this particular point?
1: Uh, he said that Jesus could not die. I mean oh sorry that Jesus, oh. however, could and did die, whereas Jehovah cannot die.
0: all right, right. well, one of the things that obviously Christianity has historically taught is that I like the way the Eastern Orthodox phrase it, right, which we have one God in three persons and two natures, right Why two natures? Because there is the divine nature, which is obviously. The, uh, the essence of God, and then we have the human nature, which is obviously carried by the Son, right? Because it is He who inhabited, you know, the, uh, the man, right? Well, th- the this pan-pricer. is in the
1: Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed says yes. He is in equal to the Father in touching His divine nature and inferior to, fa- to the Father in touching His human nature.
0: Correct, and so the idea is that when we're talking about Jesus dying, we're obviously talking about him dying as a man. In his humiliation, that's part of, of what he did, right? But, you know, this is uh, – I do want to point to uh, something in particular regarding this because one of the things that we talk about, and Jehovah's Witnesses are very uh, uh, very clear about this, that Jesus is a Savior, right? Is he not called the Savior? Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. what, I, what I did want to uh, point out is that uh, I wanted to look at uh, – at a particular text, and, although I, I, would, I would
1: say that uh, I would say that Jehovah's Witnesses would say Jesus is a savior, but it's Jehovah ultimately that's the savior, but he saves through Jesus, and that's I think that's the way they would uh, put it, put that forward.
0: Yes, well, I'd like to take a look at Isaiah Isaiah sixty three. Isaiah sixty three. Let me uh, let me go to that text because I, I I noted something on here, but I, I think it'd be better if, if we take a look at the actual text because. There's a particular verse here that I think uh makes a very very good argument and that would be uh uh verse 5 you know and so we know that uh when it begins you know it uh it is speaking about about uh about the the day of vengeance you know that is to come right so it says for the day of vengeance was in my heart this is in 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 uh, verse 4 and my year of redemption had come and so here god is speaking and it says, I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. If you notice here, it says that there was no one to help. So he's talking, he's talking about, about men, that there was no man. help it says that his own arm brought him salvation and the point is that that's what jesus is jesus is that arm that brings salvation why but he is what he he is he is the lord he's the lord who's bringing salvation god Mm -hmm. is not depending on others to do it so when we look at jesus we're not looking at because this this would actually be a contradiction of the text so then when jesus appeared as a man then there was one right Mm -hmm. but no he's actually this is actually declaring that on that day of vengeance there was none you know why? Because it's the Lord Himself who is doing it, and this is why we have text where it speaks of the Lord's day and the Lord's coming. And as you said, brother, it is identified with the coming of Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, do you want me to get to the next question?
0: Sure, yes, let's go ahead and go to the okay. next. Uh, well, He
1: basically makes one, uh, so in one sense, Jehovah is the first and the last because He alone is Almighty God. Uh, so I I basically say amen to that. So I, I don't think that we need to comment on that. We actually have always agreed on that. Uh, he says, and then again, in another sense entirely, Jesus is the first and the last directly resurrected to immortal life in the heavens. Since his own resurrection, the resurrection of those who follow Jesus to heaven, comes through or by means of Jesus, uh, John 5, 21 through 22. So the Jehovah's Witness is arguing is that, Everyone else is resurrected through Jesus, whereas Jesus is actually resurrected by the Father. And so, so since he's he's personally resurrected by the Father, uh, therefore his resurrection is a first and the last resurrection. And as as I've already said earlier, the the phrase first and the last to a Jewish mind would have been connected to Yahweh in Isaiah forty four six. Uh, but but the other issue is that if you look at if if you look at the Bible in Galatians 1:1, it tells us that the Father resurrected the Son. However, if you look at John, Jesus uh, in His own words in John yes. chapter 2 verses 19 through 21, He says, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." And the and they go on to think He's talking about the physical temple. And but John explains to us that He was speaking about His body. Then in uh, in John chapter 10 verses eight, verse 18, I'm sorry. Jesus says, No one takes my life. I, I lay it down and I take it back. So Jesus also is involved in his own resurrection. And he's saying, I raise myself up. No one can take my life. So so the, this argument that the Jehovah's Witness is making, and uh, before we continue on, I, I do want to reemphasize again uh, I know Jehovah's Witnesses of uh, that I've known for many years. I have friends that were Jehovah's Witnesses. I've worked with Jehovah's Witnesses. I have Jehovah's Witnesses in my family, uh, extended family. They are wonderful people, many of them hardworking people that have families, and they devote themselves to go out there knocking on doors in, hot, in the hot sun, wearing suits and ties, and they go door to door. And I have such, such respect for the effort, for the zeal, that is had with, with uh, people that are doing this. The, the concern that I have and that we have er- brother Eric is that they, they are basically following a, an organization that is basically, um, I, I don't wanna say a negative word, uh, but the word spoon feeding is, is what I'm thinking is because they, the, the publications that they have assert certain things and a lot of times, uh, the the people, the witnesses, aren't necessarily double checking these facts. Maybe some of them are, but I think a lot of them aren't really double checking these facts. And so, uh, I think that there's some um, misinformation that is being presented by the Watchtower. Although the Jehovah's Witnesses are themselves very honest people, but but go ahead, brother.
0: Well no, obviously, you know, we're this this is not an exercise we're doing to attack Jehovah's Witnesses, but what we actually want is to first of all give people the right information on what how the Bible is describing God, right? And the person of of Jesus Christ. And this is a Christian show. So what we want is to inform our Christian audience on what we believe and what others believe and do a contrast. For those that are Jehovah's Witnesses, it is our desire that they would be able to see the light that God has given us and that This is something that is historic. This is a historic light. Now, has the church uh, agreed on all these points at all times? No, but it's there. It's there in the historical theology. And what we are desiring to do is to follow the word of God, follow what we know to be the word of God, and that is the Bible. We know that the scriptures are the word of God. Why? Because even in his own conduct, Jesus shows us. You know, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, we see that when, when uh, the rich man asks, you know, Abraham to send uh, Lazarus, right, to his family so that he may warn them of, of, the, of what is to come, what does he tell them? Well, first of all, he reveals that it, that it cannot be so, right, because of, of uh, uh, and, and in particular, him being able to go because of the gulf that was in between. But he refers to them that for that they have. Moses and the prophets and that if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, which is a way of speaking of, of the scriptures, they will not listen. This is how God saves. Faith comes how by hearing and hearing what? the Word of God. So this is what we want. what we want is to not be looking at at a human interpretation. If we, if we are following any humans, it's because we believe that they are following the light of Scripture. Now, I know that, for instance, the, uh, in the case of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they follow their particular organization. Now, everyone is, is part, of a, part of a group. But the question is, are we really following what Scripture says? And one of the aspects, obviously, that I, I think would be uh, good to do later on in another show is get into an issue of looking at hermeneutics and how we look at the Bible. Because I think this is a, a, a very important factor. But I did want to ask, I did want to make a little point uh, at the end about the, the whole idea of Jesus being referred to as the first and the last. And it's and in reference to, you know, the resurrection. As you said, brother, this is a, an allusion to the Old Testament title. Second, there is a term that is used for him in the resurrection. And that's in 1 Corinthians 15, where it actually describes the resurrection of the body. And it says that he is the first fruits Of those who have fallen asleep so if this was a reference to the resurrection i think that that would be a way to refer to it and that is a way uh to refer to it so i think that it would be incorrect to look at the first and the last and designate it that way when we see that these are texts that are actually being uh dealing with what is connected uh to the title of what is uh, jehovah Uh, i'm sorry continue brother i'm not sure do we have any more uh questions we're we're finished with
1: yeah we Mm-hmm. Go ahead. We finished with the first Jehovah's Witness, the second one, Mr. DC. Uh, he's kind of scattergun uh, on a, and he jumps around from topic to topic. I figure we could probably do a speed round and then kind of just quickly go through some of his objections. He kind of overlaps with some of the stuff that was stated by the previous Jehovah's Witness. Uh, but I just want to say uh, we had a, a skeptic that just wrote in: roses are red, churches spread to steal, Jesus Christ and God aren't real. So. Uh, but brother uh, James Haliman.
0: <laughs> brother, uh, next he, time don't even not don't, don't even honor such a thing. That's we can't even respond to that. We we only want serious questions that we can actually respond to. All
1: right, uh, he says, uh, did the Jehovah's Witnesses believe uh, would they have stoned Jesus for calling himself I am the before Abraham was I am? Agoye me, actually, the Jehovah's Witnesses in their translation actually uh, translate that passage as. Uh, I have been. So they don't believe that Jesus is calling himself the uh, I am of Exodus chapter 3 or the titles that are used in Isaiah and so forth. But uh, let's get to Mr. D.C. He says, Jesus is Lord, uh, his lordship was made. I think he probably meant Jesus isn't Lord. Uh, his lordship was made. See Acts chapter two. Just really briefly, uh, yes, in the incarnation, Jesus was in the moment of humiliation. So as in the incarnation, as he enters into the creation, he is made Lord and God as he is glorified. And so, so in, in Christianity, we have the the states of Christ. You have him in glory, then you have the humiliation in the incarnation. Uh, they, you have the death, and then you have the exaltation, glorification. So there's different states of, of Christ, and it's, it's thoroughly biblical because it, it, Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, you, I, we already referenced Hebrews 2, 7, which says he became a little lower than the angels, um, found in the likeness of man to the point of death, all of these things. So it's, it's very biblical, and then we are told that he is glorified, and the glory that Jesus gets, we said this in the last show, Jesus said, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. This indicates that Jesus Christ, when he was glorified, on the day when he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Yes, the word given. But the the authority and glory that he's given is the glory he had before. So if he has all the authority at his resurrection, in heaven and on earth, that means that that's the same authority he had before the humiliation. Uh, so, uh, so he talks about how Jesus, he is different from Jesus, as mentioned in Acts 4:24, 26. There is no term "sovereign Lord" or "Lord God" used for Jesus. Acts 4:24. Actually, there's a there's a that's actually not correct. In the Hebrew, the word "sovereign" is the word "Adonai" in Hebrew. It's a personal form, Adon, etc. Et uh, and As a matter of fact, if, you, if people know the word Adonis, the word Adonis means like the supreme, the perfect ten, male, the specimen. Well, but in the Hebrew, it refers to the supreme Lord or master or the Lord of all the Lords. And in, in Psalm 110, which is the most quoted passage of the Old Testament in the New Testament, uh, Jesus even pointed to this to the Jews in in Matthew 22, and then after Jesus questioned them, they stopped asking questions because they didn't have an answer. Right. Here you, in Psalm 110, you have David who says Yahweh is speaking to someone else, and he designates him as Adonai. So it's Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Yahweh is speaking to someone else, and that Someone else is the sovereign, and that sovereign is going to sit in the place of honor and authority. He's being enthroned and glorified. This is referring to Jesus as he is glorified in heaven. And Jesus even says to them, why does David in the Spirit say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Uh, because of Psalm 110. So, and the Jews didn't have an answer, and so they didn't ask him any questions. This is in, this is in Matthew 22. I don't know if you want to add something to that, but...
0: No, I actually that you know when, when I looked at this that's that's exactly what I was I was actually thinking about which is that this is a particular objection that was brought to the Jews and this was the perfect time to for the Jews to clarify why did they not answer? Because the point was very very clear. Jesus was making the point that he was not merely the son, the, the son of David. Mm-hmm. He was he was actually, you know, the son of God, which actually goes back to uh, you know the uh, uh it was uh, uh, John 10 you know where it actually it's when when it's actually because you know he does mention the i am but one of the things that that he actually says to the jews is why in other words why are you in essence you know uh upset because i said i am the uh, that that i i said i am the son of god right and what does it say that mm. they were going to do what is the commentary what is the actual scriptural commentary on that that they were going to stone mm. him for what reason because he mm. was equating himself with who with god mm. so mm. that it's making it very clear that these these are divine titles and I think and I think that that's why uh, like I said it's just they they have a very very uh, hard time understanding this concept of the Incarnation
1: by the way brother James responded to the skeptic <laughs> it's a really mm-hmm. great comment he said uh, roses are red violets are blues something out of nothing is the atheist worldview <laughs> 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 uh, pretty good brother James pretty good yeah okay yeah. so he uh, he goes on to say uh, the the Jehovah's Witness again, Um, He goes on to say uh, You are the one who made the." He says um, uh, Who is not Jesus who is called Sovereign Lord One accord to God And said Sovereign Lord you are the one Who made the heaven and the earth Who is totally different from Jesus Who is the anointed and the sovereign Lord Servant, uh, Acts 4:30 mentioned through the name of your holy servant Jesus, Acts 4:26. When I get, he's kind of all over the place, it's hard to respond, but I would just remind everybody: we've we've already commented. If you look at Hebrews chapter 1, we we talked about verse 8 last last show, uh, but if you notice in in verse 10, it actually says that the Father says to the Son, uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness, and he goes on to say that he create, you know, he's the one that 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 set the the heavens and the earth and unrolled. I mean, it's I don't remember the exact text exactly, but it, but it, he's telling, he's saying that he's the one that's doing all the creating. So, so everything that's being said here is said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter one, verse ten. It's said in John chapter one, verse three. It's said in Colossians chapter one, uh, verses uh, sixteen through eighteen. But incidentally, uh, I, there's one passage that we haven't commented on, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. And, and in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Paul is actually dealing with the, the subject of idols and, and false gods and whatnot. And one of the things that he says is that uh, to, he says there are God's many and Lord's many. He says, but to us, there is one God, the Father, and one and and I think he says, um, let me get one. Curious, out of here. right? Uh, yes. Uh, let me see, eight verse six. All right. So it says, um, yet for it, for us there is one God the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we live, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we live. And so so here you have the. Remember, the, the words kurios in the Greek and theos in the Greek ref, are the Greek translations of the Hebrew words for Yahweh, or, which is many times translated as Jehovah, or Elohim, which is translated as God. And so in, in the Deuteronomy 6.4, where you have the Shema in Hebrew, it's Shema, Israel, Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh, Echud, Hero, Israel, Yahweh, our God, is one, okay? In this passage, and there are many biblical scholars who say this, that Paul is reiterating the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, but he is breaking it up a little bit more, expanding it by saying, there is one God, the Father, he says... Uh, "...from whom are all things, and for whom we live, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live." So he describes the Father and the Son as through whom all things, and through by whom we live, or through whom we live. So he's being described within the same category as Yahweh, and, and in this case, we're talking about the Father and Jesus Christ. We do not believe they're the same person, but but it's it's an interesting point that the very verses that he that this Jehovah's Witness is, is using to the the points that he, the arguments that he's making regarding Jehovah being this and Jesus Christ being someone else, those descriptions are
0: made of Jesus as well, brother. Yes, yes, I'd like to point out um uh, a particular text. I think it's in uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, let me uh, make a quick uh, search for this particular text. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, one second. Okay. Kind of screwed that up. We'll go back. Let's see. I uh, kill and make alive. Okay. Uh, one second here. Just uh, mm-hmm. calling up the uh, verse here. It's Deuteronomy 32, 39. Mm-hmm. It says, see now that I, even I am he. There is no God with me, okay? Which is an interesting point right there, right? There is no God with me. And it says, I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand, right? So who is the one that... uh Makes alive. Who 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 does the resurrection who, who makes the resurrection possible? God, right? Mm-hmm. So then how could Jesus have said this in John 10:18? No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father, right? Mm-hmm. So what is he referring to? He's referring to the giving of his life, right? But notice that it says that he is able to uh, take it up again, right? So the implication is that he has the power over life, Mm -hmm. right? And when they, when going back to the the text that you referred to where the Pharisees, you know, where where he said, uh, uh, destroy this temple in three days, you know, and notice that it doesn't say, and God will raise it up. Right, He says, I will raise it up. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he has power over the resurrection shows that he does have that, that divine attribute. Mm-hmm. This proves that he is God. Well, I, so I would we, actually, we have this. Go ahead. I, I would actually add,
1: and I want to use a pop culture reference for, for a moment, maybe just for kicks here. Uh, but if anyone's watched the, the movie Avengers Endgame, and I'm going to get a little spoilery here, okay? Uh, Half the universe is dead in Avengers Endgame at the beginning of the movie. And in order to bring them back, they need to go travel through time and they got to get the Infinity Stones, which had been destroyed, in order to bring everyone back. The whole purpose of Endgame is to bring the people that had died from the snap to bring them back. And it takes this whole fiasco with the technology and teams and and a big battle at the end uh, against the the villain Thanos, okay? Jesus doesn't need infinity stones. He does not need to travel through time to bring people back. All he says is, Lazarus, uh, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. That's how powerful Jesus is. And I think that people sometimes – I mean, I remember having a conversation with – with a relative once, and they were telling me that they thought that Moses was uh, much more grandiose than Jesus was, uh, because because he parted the Red Sea. And I said oh. to him, "You think so?" And I said, "Well, because what do you think is a bigger deal? Parting the Red Sea or bringing back the dead?" And then he paused for a second. He's like, "Okay, bringing back the dead is a bigger deal." So I mean, that's I mean, that's where I think. of.
0: Well, the question would be why would he have that ability? Would mm. it be that because maybe he is a maker he is the one who uh made life who made all things, so the one who made all things can also make alive right just as it's spoken as it's spoken in uh, deuteronomy thirty two now we're coming to the end of the show. Are there any uh last comments or uh any uh any inquiries before uh we leave within a few seconds here brother
1: um Brother James has a question, I guess, something about Kingdom Halls not having watchtowers. I'm not sure. I think they do. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I I believe they did, at least last time I visited the Kingdom Hall.
0: Yeah, Uh, that would be be a little odd, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but the Jehovah's Witness here gets into whether it's—he gets into the doctrine of the Trinity, which we said we're not going to get into, Uh, not because it's not a good topic— not because it's not a good topic, uh, but because uh, we we specifically said that we were going to deal with the deity of christ uh, The doctrine of the Trinity involves trying to talk about the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the constant. It, it's a It's a larger show, it deserves its own show, but well, today the, we wanted to deal specifically with the deity of christ
0: yes and and like we said, you know you can it's okay to ask you know a couple of questions, but you know what he in essence, went was in a bit of a diatribe in it would have been even if we would have tried to do the show on that. It, I don't think we would have had enough time with the show because there's just so much we'd have to answer. And there were similarities mm-hmm. to to what uh, Moses Livingston. But actually, I gotta commend Moses Livingston. I think he did a good job of pre- presenting his arguments, and it allowed us to be able to you know take it and be able to uh, provide answers. So we wanna we wanna thank you for those comments, but we do wanna encourage you to make the comments directly for the show because from, from here on out, that's really how we're gonna be answering. Just as as uh, people have. Uh, such as brother james who usually would be on panel and uh mm-hmm. so that's how we will usually answer the questions we we we, we could also be done through a uh, uh, twitter and facebook brother the questions uh
1: on facebook we're, we don't have a twitter i i'm thinking okay. about creating a twitter account maybe an instagram but we'll, we'll just wait and see because we're still very small but uh we, we could talk about that
0: okay well i guess uh we'll go ahead and wrap it up here thank you for joining us we hope that this was a a useful discussion, not only for Christians, but hopefully for those uh, Jehovah's Witnesses who are also uh, trying to understand where we are coming from. So I want to thank you for joining us today. If you've been uh, blessed by the show, please go ahead and uh, support us by either hitting like, subscribe, share, or comment. And we go live every uh, other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And remember, learning theology isn't just for pastors and scholars. It's for you too. And God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful evening.